Welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast, brought to you by the Luminello Electronic Medical Record folks. Here's your host, Dr. Ken Braslow. So welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast. I'm very excited to have Carolyn Bolt on with us today. Carolyn and her husband co-founded Crossfields, which is a design build firm in Atlanta, and they focus on helping clinicians think through their use of physical space, uh, what we used to call the office uh, back before (laughs) the pandemic hit. And now that uh, many of us are returning to the office, at least in some capacity, I thought it'd be a great time for us to sit down with Carolyn and think about what we could be doing with our spaces that maybe we hadn't been doing before. That's an opportunity to reimagine our spaces, if you will. And then, of course, thinking about for new graduates, as they are, they just graduated a couple of weeks ago, and they're now thinking about setting up their own private practice space and helping them along in that process. So welcome to the show, Carolyn. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Great. So tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what it is that you do with clinicians that adds high value to their practices and what the goal is of the services that you you provide. Well, the the big picture goal of the services we provide is to Uh, help clinicians understand that their office environment, their brick and mortar space has an impact on their success as a clinician. Understanding that there's a psychology of the space for them and for their patients. So it helps to maintain and rate and attract and retain patients. So that's our big, big attraction, a big part of what we do. You start talking about psychology of anything and you get our listeners very excited. So um, maybe we can just dive right into that and we can think out loud about what is the psychology that clinicians, even though many of us are therapists or psychologists, that doesn't mean we have totally thought through the psychology of the painting on the wall or the, the floral print design on the chair. And so what should we be thinking about in, in psychological terms about what the uh, the physical space conveys to patients or clients? Um, well, let's just talk about the, if you think about, let me give you a, an example, a good example right. that always helps. <clears throat> if you think about, you enter a retail establishment and when you enter that retail establishment, there's certain impressions that you take in typically with your eyes, but also with smells, also with sound, all of those things that you relate to. Typically you relate to in your history of your past, but you relate to it and you form opinions about that practice or about that um, retail space that we're talking about immediately based on those past memories and impressions. And that create that psychology of that space. So there's like psychology of color. There's a psychology of light, lighting, There's a psychology of shapes and the different um, aspects and details that we use in design. And all of those actually um, create different, and I cannot, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to talk intelligently about what it does, but it actually 
connects you to different emotions and different feelings. And so if you think about that, that's very purposeful in a retail environment. That's what the designers have purposely designed it so that when you walk into the space, you're encouraged to buy, but you're also connecting to that brand that you're walking into. So that brand, um, if it's done correctly, and that's what we're all talking about is being very intentional about it. If it's done correctly, it actually um, matches. They match each other. It's not mismatched. It, it, br it brings, that's a good example of psychology also, I guess. It brings you that under awareness that this space, um, okay, let me just be real clear. Let's say you walk into a Walmart. You're going, your space is going to be very intentionally designed to support the low cost leader. It's got really bright lights. It's got hard surfaces. It's got a lot of, um, a lot of detail, a lot of clutter, things that actually you think about almost like you're in a garage sale of sorts. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just getting a deal. That's how you feel. That was very purposely designed to support the low cost, low cost leader. Now you turn over and you walk into a Giorgio Armani or a high-end um, designer store. You're going to have different colors, very muted colors, as opposed to the bright colors of Walmart, just almost as opposite as you can get different, different variations of light to give a softening to the space instead of the harshness. So those things mm. will actually attribute to what your expectations are when you go into that space, that you're, you're not looking for the deal. You're looking for the designer label. You're looking for the the um and whatever it is that you think you're going to get from that so it's that it's very purposeful the same thing would relate to a restaurant so think about different restaurants you've been to everyone has a favorite restaurant and or they have different restaurants you know i'm in the mood for and you think of a restaurant and that restaurant space is supporting that mood that you're looking for whether it's dark and cozy and intimate or whether it's bright and loud and lots of energy it's supporting that, what you want to gather into that space. So that's what we're talking to clinicians about is not, you're not going to be a Walmart, you're not going to be a Giorgio Armani, but you're going to want your space to be a, perp a wonderful representation of who you are and to attract that ideal patient. It's fascinating to think about how much thinking goes into our experience before we've even walked in the store and how we're already impressionable at that first moment. So what do you think for patients and clients at that first moment? Well, actually, maybe we shouldn't say, what is the first moment? Is it in the parking lot? Is it when they open the door? Is it the waiting room? Where do you define the journey as beginning in the physical it, space? Well, it, it definitely is um, pulling into the parking lot. It's it's just, if you think about um, what's the word used in uh, residential homes and things of that sort, is that curb appeal. Mm -hmm. If you think about as you're going to look at a home to potentially buy, you're starting to evaluate the drive to that house and driving up to it and what that whole neighborhood is like or lack of neighborhood is like, et cetera. So yeah, it's very important to think about that as much as you can. Mm -hmm. That being said, what can you do once you get past that curb is also very important. Right. Okay. So whether people are driving or they're taking mass transit, 
at some point there's a front door. <laughs> so, and the front door is presumably into a common area. Can be. Tip, can typically, be. right? Yeah, typically it is. For yeah. So, so what should, maybe walk us through uh, each physical step. What should you be thinking about for that front door for the waiting room or the common area? And it, granted, you may not have much control over it, but. Well, and that's another, that's another point. How much control do you have over it and what you can control and, and making choices, just like you would make a choice about what, where you're going to practice based on you know, what's beside you and what's around you and who you're leasing from and, or who you're buying from or whatever situation your practice is in. All of those parts are part of the consideration and it, you have to weigh it out. You have to decide what's going to be the most important thing. So mm -hmm. just your location could be more important at some point than the fact that the parking lot has some holes in it. Do you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? It, it's a mm -hmm. matter of your priorities. But as far as once you have the space that you can control, the space that you can design, um, you know, thinking about what in what is the ideal environment I want. And once you decide that, then there are certain elements, whether it's lighting or color or design elements that will help support that environment. I see. So let's say I'm uh, working with families. Okay. And uh, kids, what should I be thinking about? I, memories that pop into my mind of, are of the pediatrician's office and all the, the games they have for infants and toddlers and how when teenagers walk in there, that is not very impressive to them. Well, and, and yeah, I think we, we talked uh, um, about the concept of your ideal patient. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing a practice that touches everyone in the family, you know, from old down to young, you know, think about, you want it to feel, what do you want it to feel like? You, most people want it to feel like homey. I'm not going to say that that's what everyone wants it to be. Um, maybe if you're, it depends on what kind of practice you have also, do you know, if you're just really supporting marriages, you know, what's that going to do? If you're really support, you know, what are you trying to get? from a psycho psychological standpoint. If you go to one the other extreme and just say, hey, you're just gonna work with kids, then you want that environment to support the kids wanting to be there. That's why they have games. That's why they have all of those things. But you're right. If you just have that and you're trying to appeal to a gamut of ages, then you're not going to appeal to the ones that you that don't support, that you haven't supported. So mm -hmm. I, Give me an example and I'll give you some, <laughs> ask well, me some questions because there is not a one way fits that's all. That's right. You know? Everybody has a different audience that exactly. they're focusing on. Well, the bread and butter would be the adult uh, individual client. Okay. Um, and then we could, um, we can build upon that. But they're either coming to you for uh, their weekly therapy session or for a medication check, let's say. Although okay. the first time they're meeting you, it's for a new evaluation and they're uh, likely wanting to make sure you're a good fit for them. And similarly, as the clinician, we want to make sure they're the right fit for our practice and what we can offer. So what, what can you think of that might help that client or patient feel more at ease in the waiting room? 
and making that transition from the parking lot or the sidewalk through the front door into the common area. And then, and then we can open the office door. <laughs> <after that. laughs> and then you can open the office yeah. door. Um, so let's just talk about the waiting room. Okay. Cause there'll be some, you know, even if you're a sole practitioner, you probably have some waiting room in between patients for them yes. to be. So think about someone's walking in, think about putting yourself yourself in their shoes for a minute and they're walking in. They're probably a little hesitant to do it. They're mm -hmm. cautious. They want to make sure they're making the right decision. They have an expectation of what they're wanting and needing. And so you're, that first environment should represent who you are as a practitioner, because that's what they're, that's that you're the product, right? And you as, as the therapist, and you're the doctor or whoever you are, that person is going to evaluate you based on how you dress, how your hair is combed, how you, how you show up emotionally, all of those things. So what can your environment do to support that? So um, let me go from one extreme to another, okay? So let's just say you're um, someone who is very, what is the word I want to say without, you're very, very natural. Everything is very, very natural in who you are as a person. You're, I don't want to call you a hippie, but you're a little bit on that side, right? So that's what you're going to appeal to. That's what you're going to your patients are going to match up with that. You're that environment that you're going to create with the rattan and the, the throw pillows and the, the, you know, the things that are a little bit, lots of greenery, et cetera, is going to be an expression of who you are. So those patients that come in, those potential patients that come in can match up to that. Or yeah, I want to, yeah, keep going. Yeah. You know, I just actually, I think it's fascinating. I want to pause here and really, uh, bookmark this thought that a lot of therapists or psychiatrists think that th they don't think of themselves as the product. They think of the therapy or the medication as the, the reason the person is coming to see you. And in a sense, sure, that, that is why, but they devalue or they just simply don't think of the, the meaning, how meaningful it is that they are part of that therapy. They are part of that medication. And even though they, the psychiatrist doesn't control the biochemistry uh, of the, the pill itself, my experience has been that when I have a good connection mm -hmm. with the patient that it seems like, I probably should study this more scientifically, but it seems like the medication works better. <laughs> and it's not to say that it always works that way, but there is something about that relationship, even if it's medication, and especially if it's therapy, that is part of the treatment itself. And that it's really important to think about one's own brand exactly. and what supports yes. the, you know, the brand assets, if you will. Yes. And yes. that's the chair, yes. that's the couch, right? Yes. And the, the paintings and that um, many clinicians just think that that's accessory, um, secondary. And yet what you're talking about is there's a reason Walmart has spent probably millions of dollars studying 
you know, <laughs> what, what the ad experience is like when you walk in the door, right? Exactly. They, they, they want to attract shoppers and have them be repeat shoppers. And for therapists and psychiatrists, we often think, well, if we do good work, they'll just come back until they feel better. But the, And then, you know, they'll refer their friends if uh, their friends are in need. But it's more than just the work itself. It's the whole package that, that goes together. And that's why I'm, I'm calling this out. Well, we, when we talk about um, designing a space, we talk about it in terms of environment as opposed to just an office space. So if you, mm-hmm. just that word alone, environment, kind of opens you up to the whole experience within the space. So yes, your patients, especially when they're when they're just getting to know you, they're really taking in all those experiences. And on where the, what does this match with them? Does this meet? Is this can I trust this person? You know, because that's really what you're doing is you need to develop mm-hmm. trust that they trust mm-hmm. you. And yeah, patient, especially if they're coming to get medication. I, it would be interesting to see the more they trust you, probably the better the medicine works. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be interesting because there is a psychology to it. The whole yeah, and you, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't even think until you just said it now about the, the linguistics of the word office, which has this um, implication to me of something that's, I don't know, something that IBM would have or their executives <laughs> would go into their office, you know, just kind of functional, but a, a desk and a chair and a bookcase and that's about it. Uh, pretty more gray, black and white, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but not as colorful is what I mean. But by calling it an environment and uh, us thinking about this as a literally the walkway from before the front door is open to the front door being open to the waiting room, maybe with a side trip to the bathroom, that that's that whole workflow has to be taken into account when you were just starting out or if you're looking to to revitalize your space okay so all right so now let's say um you're opening the the door to your office okay Uh, what should you be thinking about as that patient walks in should your chair be in between the client and the door or should the client, you know, do, do you get down to that granular level? Well, I, it, it, a lot of it has to do with how you practice and what your philosophy is with practicing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, let me use, let me use an example. If you've got a doctor, okay, this is an, this is a psychology, okay? You're meeting with someone and you're across a desk, parallel, you know, uh, face front on face to face with each other and you're across a desk with each other the person on the farthest away from the door side of the desk or behind the desk let's call it has a sense of authority and the 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 person on the other side in this case let's call it the patient has an automated i'm going to call respect or an automated um, expectation that this person is of authority and what they say is going to have some authority. That's a psychology right there. Now, is that are you going to form a real in-depth relationship with the person across the desk? 
not until that person comes around and gets knee to knee will that relationship change. It actually physically, it actually emotionally changes when the people, there's even been studies where you get 45 degree angle to each other and it creates a whole oh. different environment with each other. Um, uh, doctors that are like when you're expressing, hey, this is what it's going to run for. I, you know, I'm assuming that you guys, um, having been through therapy in the past, it's like, this is how many sessions I think you're going to need. And this is what it's going to run and et cetera, especially if you're paying cash, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how that's expressed to me has to be in a place of trust as opposed to just this authority place where mm -hmm. do you follow what I'm saying? So even that kind of psychology comes into play. Mm -hmm. how you, like when you said, how do you position yourself? Are your patients on a sofa? Are your patients in a chair? Are your patients behind a counter? All of those things will create different environments for those people. What's your take on if, let's say there isn't that big mahogany desk, okay. but uh, you know the patients uh, or the clients on a couch or a comfy chair and I'm on a chair, but uh, there's a small coffee table in between us. Does that give each of does that give the, the patient and client a sense of a little bit of defined space? And so that feels a little bit more comfortable for them, or does that look like a barrier and that they can't fully connect with you? What, what's, do you have a take well, that's, on that? That's really interesting that the, the coffee table, because the sense that it's low and most of them are below waist level of sorts, mm -hmm. there's, it doesn't create a barrier. It actually creates community because you want to lean in a little bit to each mm. other. It's kind of interesting. The other psychology would be whether it's square, whether it's round and some of those type of things. A round um, table creates even more sense of community than the square table, if it's possible. So no, huh. it's the barrier above your waist that starts to create, and especially the depth of a desk that creates a barrier. There's not, there's other psychologies. I'm going to throw a couple of them. You talk about height. There's a psychology. If you walk into a room and there's a reception desk, let's just say you've got a clinic that has multiple doctors and there's a reception desk. If that reception desk is um, 36 inches or higher, it creates a stand-up community. Okay. But it's still a barrier. I'll make a pause here to invite our listeners to share this podcast with others if you find it useful. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, send us your questions and comments. Our email is enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. That's enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. Now back to the conversation. So I'm not going to walk behind that desk. I'm not going to look what's on that desk, but I'm not, but I'm still in my psychological space is connected. My personal space can still be connected. Okay. My personal, mm -hmm. you know how people have a personal space. If you follow it, yeah. And different, mm -hmm. um, different cultures have different depths mm -hmm. that personal space, but when that desktop and if it's at 42 inches, I can stand up and I can write and I can do things. But when that goes up to 48 inches, it automatically creates a barrier mm -hmm. and you can still see over it but it's, it just creates a sense of 
it's just a barrier. It, it closes you off from the person behind it. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting phenomenon. So yeah, it makes me think of being at the bank back yes, in, the, back in yes. the days when people were exactly. going to the bank. Exactly. They didn't want so you getting too close. It's tall, <laughs> you know, especially the sidewalls. They're really tall. You don't even really see over those. So yeah, yeah. In, a, in a another lifetime, I designed banks. You're exactly right. And that's yeah. very purposeful to give you mm -hmm. that sense of you wouldn't dare go on the other side of that, that teller mm -hmm. counter for Stay sure. Stay away from the money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it. it's those, those psychologies that you can play into. And we're just talking about, you know, physical furniture and barriers and things of that sort. Lighting does a similar thing. You know, okay, let's, let's talk about canned lighting versus lamps versus the old school with the, what were those fluorescent or the, the, the lay-in light fixtures, yes. fluorescent light fixtures. Now they're port LED. So if the, the typical office space would have, if you think of office again, you know, just the, like you were saying, the IBM office space, it wants mm -hmm. to have a general wash of light across the entire workspace. Well, that does not create any intimacy at all. It just, it's a, it just creates kind of a, everything is common and it, the brighter, the light, the more energy the space will have, the louder people will be in it, the lower the light level, the quieter people will be in it. So if you're going to create a sense of intimacy and community, things that vary the light level. So can lights can vary the light level from space to space. If they're you know, the way that they're typically spaced. You said lamps. Lamps create a real coziness because it's just light in certain areas. So it's very focused light where the rest of the space is quieter. So yeah, lighting is huge. What's your take on LED lamp bulb, uh, light bulbs versus more traditional ones? More traditional uh, ones? Yeah, you know, the ones that have the warmer, yellower light. Not you as know, you the can't even get those incandescent. You're talking incandescent yellow light picture. Yeah, you can't really even buy them anymore. Um, mm. Very seldom. But so there's different colors of light, though, because that's what you're really talking about. Yes. So mm -hmm. incandescent light is what we call a really warm light. So in the there's there's actually what they call Kelvin um the Kelvins of the light or actually the color temperature is measured in mm -hmm. a thing called Kelvin. So the temperature when it's warm goes into like the 20, 20s, so 2000s, like 2800, 2700 is an incandescent light. And it, cre it creates a really warm yellow light. And that's what, and it's going to be interesting as our children grow up, but that is what, you know, my age and around my age grew up with. So that's what we expected. And then we grew up with in the office, they started putting fluorescent bulbs because they were more energy efficient. And your first fluorescent bulbs, those light levels were around 4,400. Mm. So they were a very green light. Do you know what I'm saying? They were colder. They weren't yellow, yes. but they went to the blue and the green color. And that created a whole different, you know, feeling in the space. It was an overall wash. But what's fascinating about LED is you can, there's bulbs that you can just dial them. What do you want? So you can have warm light at some point of your life and the day, and you can have dark light. I mean, the cool light at another point. Another psychology though, would be to go all the way up to like 5,000 and that gets close to daylight. And so there's a whole different energy that's created when mm. you're in daylight 
you know, you, you're lighter, you're brighter, you're, you have more energy. And I mean, you guys should know about the whole, you know, thing that happens to people when they're in a Northern um, state that they don't get enough sunlight, you know, that they don't get enough wow. bright light and they get depressed. So it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's fascinating. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about textures and the use of materials in the space. Okay. So uh, first comes to mind for me is uh, what kind of, is it going to be a leather <laughs> sofa or fabric? Uh, but then also sh should it be wood floors or carpeted? And then I'm, I'm sure there's many permutations of all of these um, when you think about what goes on the walls, but I'm curious to get your take on what clinicians should be thinking about when they think about the physical materials. So um, when we, we use physical materials to further create the psychology of the space that we're trying to create based on what the clinician wants. So um, give me, why don't you do this? Why don't you give me, if you don't mind, tell me what kind of environment you'd like your patients to have. And then I'll mm -hmm. tell you the type of textures to use for that. Mm -hmm. So I would want them to think that my practice is modern. I use okay. uh, the most uh, evidence-based uh, treatments, and but that it is not stuffy by okay. any sense that um, kids can come in and we can um, be playful and okay. we can, now that is a little different doing play therapy. That is, I would say most therapists do not end up on the floor with their patients. Uh, but when you see kids, uh, you, you do. Uh, so that, that is a particular challenge when you see kids in the afternoon, but you might see adults during the day or in the <laughs> evening, <laughs> so you go back and forth. But in general, I, I want the atmosphere to uh, be relaxed and we, we can do good work and we can be, um, we can have a warm relationship. And is that enough or do you need more? Uh, yeah. So do you meet with your patients? Um, how do you like to talk with them? Do you like to be across a desk from them or do you like to be knee to knee with them? I mean, I just heard you right. on the floor with the kids. So right. tell me about the adults. The adults, right. Uh, starting from the teenagers up, uh, I have a chair and okay. they're typically sitting on a sofa. Okay. And there is not a, a desk of any sort that I actually have a, a built into my wall, um, just kind of a, a, a wood beam that okay. serves as a desk, but it's behind me and I'm never okay. sitting there when a okay. patient or client is in the office. So I'm, I'm facing them and it's a smaller space. So there isn't a coffee table. The other reason is that for kids, I couldn't yes. get down and play, you know, army men with them if uh, there was a coffee table <laughs> in the middle of the space. Um, but in other settings, I've had uh, a coffee table there and there's good natural light coming in. Okay. And, yeah. There's good natural light. So with, so one of the things that I'm imagining that you do is when you're down on the floor with your kids, you can actually raise the light. I don't know if you do this or not, but you can raise the light level a little bit, creates a little bit more energy for the children and they 
you know, keeps that mm-hmm. kind of connectivity flowing. I'm assuming you're sitting on the floor. So something comfortable and soft for them to sit on like a rug, or maybe yes. even you have a specific rug you roll out just for the kids. That's more colorful and playful versus mm-hmm. not. So you're, you're thinking the same things. And then because you have children, you want to make sure that your environment is very, um, when I say kid-friendly, understand that it's cleanable. It's not sharp edges. It's not, you know, you wouldn't be upset if they got dirty hands and dirty fingers on things or any, that type of stuff. So I've had many a sofa cushion uh, meet its match (laughs) with a a highly energetic child. Exactly, Um, exactly. So you want your materials to be, you know, that would be a good opportunity to have that leather sofa because it's going to be cleanable. It's going to be as long as they don't scratch it. I mean, they could scratch it, but you want to say something that's cleanable and warm and, and rich feeling for your adult patients, but cleanable for your children could be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can add something softer for your adult patients when they're sitting on it, sofas, I mean, um, pillows or something to make that happen. And then mm-hmm. the colors of the space are going to represent if you want something modern, you're not going to have dark mahogany floors and cherry, you know, you might have, you know what I'm saying? You're going to have, if you want modern, the feeling of modern, you're not going to have your heavy traditional wood paneling in your office, right? You're going to try to keep it lighter and brighter and cleaner lines and things when you're choosing your furniture and stuff. And that gives this feeling of, of you're more modern. On the same side, if you wanted somebody to feel like, um, you know, I'm going to use this example of of someone that's coming out of school and they want to build authority, they may need to be a little bit more traditional in Mm. their environment just to give that sense of, of, I can trust this person. I'm just, it doesn't, I'm not saying it's an absolute, I'm saying it's just an idea based on what the goal would be. Interesting. Now let's think about a group practice or a a clinic. What special considerations do they have that the individual practitioner or clinician doesn't have to think too hard about? Well, obviously in a group, you need enough room to Mm -hmm. be able to have a group, right? And Mm -hmm. of course it depends on the size of the group on how big that needs to be, but um, you would typically be in a circle and that creates community. Do you know what I'm saying? Whenever you have Mm -hmm. a group, because that create that that's an that's something you guys do anyway so that is what you're doing is you're creating that sense of community and obviously in a group there's other psychologies like how large the group is and how how long people communicate etc so um but how big the space is for the most part how flexible the space is might be also um if you think about you have a larger group at sometimes and you break into smaller ones i don't know if you do that but thinking about how you practice through that process. Easily okay. movable chairs, you know, yes. that are not too movable. So people are, you know, sliding all over the place, but you, right. something. So when the chairs are moved, it doesn't destroy the floor and the carpet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Carpet is much um, quieter, you know, hard surfaces are easily cleanable, but they're very loud. So mm-hmm. you don't really want that with a group. You don't want the space to get too loud and too uncomfortable loud is what be right. 
<clears throat> yes. And while you're saying that, I, I free associated to um, some piece of advice that I was given early on that I think is worth repeating, which is when you're looking for office spaces, always go flush the toilet down the hall uh, because you think you're just looking at your own office, but you never know how loud sounds oh. are <laughs> down, you know, upstairs definitely. or down the hall. Definitely, oh. definitely. What about for clinicians who specialize in seeing couples? Uh, and what kind of considerations would you recommend for them? Um, wow. So I guess it really depends on if you, how you want these, this couple to show up, right? So mm. I, I probably would say you need a variety of places for them to sit because if they're really mad at each other, they're not going to want to work, sit on the sofa next to each other, right? <laughs> right. Forces them, forced agony in the office Unless when they have to be right next to each other. Yeah, right. I would imagine a, lo a love seat is not your optimal. Uh, yeah, where it's only for available them. for the two of them or mm -hmm. something, but yeah, just comfortable. You know, it, I think about, um, we're talking about, you know, traditional sofa in a, I think of a traditional uh, psychology office would have a sofa with the chair across from it, et cetera, similar to what you're talking about, because that creates a comfort for the people and they need to be very comfortable so that they're not distracted from what you're trying to get them to communicate and get, and, you know, and draw out of them as you're talking to them and mm -hmm. stuff. So I think that that would be why a lot of times they're comfortable. And, and even in a group setting, the chairs should be comfortable. You know, you don't want people to sit forever on a fold-up metal chair. You know, that starts to become right. distracting. And it start anything like that that distracts them, just like you're talking about the toilet flushing. That's distracting. Mm -hmm. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So something that distracts and breaks, breaks the flow yes. would be something that you'd want to avoid. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Um, what about for a... Um, um, a, a, like a, a clinic, a community clinic or a, a privately run clinic, uh, but where there's um, maybe just individual therapy sessions going on or med checks, but there's 10 or 20 or 30 clinicians. What do they need to be thinking about as they're looking for a space? It's a totally different kind of thought process, I would imagine, compared to just a, a mom and pop uh, solo practitioner. Well, I mean, the, the, the way we go about any doctor, you know, we work with multi-doctor practices and stuff. We go through a, what all do you need space-wise first, just to really get clear with that. So how many doctors need offices? What, what, what are we doing in the offices? Do we need a variety of, of offices or rooms for therapy rooms, et cetera? Do the rooms need to be multi-purpose rooms so that, you know, so so those are the things, the kind of questions that a design firm would ask, architecture firm would ask one is, what are we trying to do within each room? Because there is not a size fits all for every clinician. You know, everyone has a little bit of a different need. So you can do more rooms and smaller rooms if you've just a one, you know, it's just two people in the room. But if you need that room to become a group room later down, down the line, so I think it's just the size of the rooms, determining mm -hmm. the square footage and how it can be used. And then mm -hmm. I talk about multi-purpose, but you could have this room is just for that 
type of therapy. And this other room is just for the group session. This is the kids room. And this is, that's another way that you could function as a practice. Mm -hmm. Lots to think about then in the planning stage before you even yes. buy your first <laughs> yes. item. Uh, you really want to have a sense of how you're going to use the space and what function it will serve. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because, um, you know, it, and, and it depends on where you are in your uh, career, but you know, you rent a space, let's just say there's three doctors in the practice and you go to find a space. A lot of times those spaces are built out and then you try to figure out how do I work in that space versus they find a space that's not built out at all. And what do I design so that I work the most efficiently in the space? And there's payoffs on each side because it's going to be less expensive to move into a space that's already built out. Even if you do new carpet and new paint and new lighting, it's still going to be less expensive than the one that you're starting with where you're building mm -hmm. everything out. So um, they just have to be taken into consideration what's going to make the, make the most sense. It's always the always trade-offs. It is. Think it's always trade-offs. It's mm -hmm. always trade-offs. We say that in every project, the three biggest comp that you have to um, weigh the compromises, we'd say, or rate the compromises would be cost, scope of work, and time. Mm -hmm. So if time is your highest priority, your cost is probably going to go up and your scope is probably going to go down. Scope meaning the level that you want to design to. If your scope mm -hmm. is, you know, the design is the highest priority, your cost is going to go up and your time is going to go up. So they all, you have to decide mm -hmm. if those three things, what's the most important thing and let the other ones rank down from mm -hmm. that. It seems cost always goes up, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what. But it, uh, it's, no, no, always, that's it's always longer. I hate to speak this, but it does seem to be longer than you think it's going to take and cost more than you think it's going to cost. Yes. Until right. you've done it. And then mm -hmm. once you've done it, then you have the reality of what, what it really right. is. So it doesn't seem long to us and it doesn't seem costly to us because we do it every day. We, we know sense. what truth is. So yeah. it's just having that educated, you know, ed <laughs> being educated on what reality is. <laughs> right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation, Carolyn. Right. I feel like I learned and I I'm actually you? now have some ideas for You'll my have office. To send me pictures of your office <laughs> right. and we'll talk right. about it. Before yeah. and after. And but and I would encourage our listeners if if it's okay with you, Carolyn, if yeah. they have any questions, mm -hmm. um, we can uh, get them in touch with you. Yes. And maybe we'll put a little bit of uh, info on the um, on our webpage where we have this uh, podcast featured so that way they can contact you. And okay. um, you know, curious to say if if anybody out there is wanting to send in photos before and after photos uh, as a result of this conversation or uh, what you're thinking about um, as a result of this conversation. And uh, maybe we can uh, revisit someday what, yes, what those before be and fun. afters <laughs> look That'd like. Be well, I, I, um, I did create a unique landing page for your listeners and I have on there a link to a free resource. And it is, we call it our five point designer checklist. And it literally is a checklist of what the first five things we would look at when we're looking at improving a space. And I mean, it's things like, you know, is look and see how cluttered it is. You know, mm -hmm. it's amazing psychologically how we collect stuff and 
we mm -hmm. suggest you have another person walk through the space. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> I wonder how, how well one judges one's own clutter. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> look at yeah. the lighting, look, are things dated? Are things ripped up? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, how professional are you if you have a ripped up suit? Think of, think of your office like the way you dress. I shouldn't awesome. say that because ripped jeans can be really cool, but you understand what I'm saying? It's that, it's what is, what are you trying to, what statement right. are you trying to make? That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Carolyn, thanks so much for your You're time. Welcome. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I've learned a lot here. So thanks okay. for, thanks for coming on with your expertise. Well, thank you for inviting me. I hope, sure. you, hope, hope your listeners got a lot out of it. I'm sure they did. Thank you so much. Take care. You're welcome. If you liked today's podcast and want to hear more, Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have a question you'd like to be discussed on a future podcast, send it to enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. <laughs>